I think now is the perfect time to have a go. I mean, if you do do a chat plan, um, you'll see that everything is up for lease. And I think everything now in terms of a rental agreement is negotiable. And so, yeah, I think if you have even just like a little hint uh, of an idea for a concept, you'll be able to find a space for it. This week on Dirty Linen, we continue to look back and look forward. And I'm going to speak to people in all kinds of stages, ages and places in the hospitality industry. Today, we are chatting to James Ness. James is a young first-time restaurateur. I ate at his pop-up Jethro in Melbourne's Paran on Saturday night, and it was ace. And James, I thought I had to get you straight onto the show. Welcome to Dirty Linen. Oh, thanks so much, Danny. It's a pleasure to be on. Now, I've um, had the pleasure of being served by you at various restaurants around Melbourne. Do you want to give us a little potted history of your time in the industry? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I suppose it all started um, sort of in the catering functions world at the Brighton International. That was when I first put my uh, RSA to use. Um, really wasn't enjoying my arts degree at Monash University. Um, and then I also decided I'd just take on a bit more work. And um, I happened to get a job at Ombra Salumi Bar back in early 2014. And uh, was taken under the wing of... Carlo Grossi and the love affair all sort of blew up from there, really, and I haven't been out of it since. Um, so what are some of the other places that you've worked? Uh, so I've worked at Kisume. I had a very brief stint uh, at Igni down in um, and I've most recently been at Tonka, uh, sort of pre-COVID for the last two, three years. And what is it about the industry that lured you in? What is it about the world of food and wine that you love so much? I think there's something really special about the whole process of it. Um, I really see restaurants as a place um, either for like really wonderful conversations with like close family and friends or even as like a solo diner somewhere where you can really come and actually recover. And I think the best way to like recover in this busy world is just to like sit down for a few hours and really let yourself uh, like indulge the senses and, I think a well-curated restaurant is somewhere where you can really indulge all five of them sort of at once. Um, and yet for me, there's nothing more, yeah, nothing more like moving in in a week than like a good dinner um, can really take you from a bad place into a fabulous place just in a matter of hours. And yeah, if the right sort of people are behind it, it can be really, really special. And I think there's a certain honesty to that, in that you're really helping people be indulgent in a, in a world where they're often too busy to take the time out for themselves. Wow, that's a really beautiful summation of um, an experience that I think I look for in restaurants as well, where it is just um, a bit of time out of time where you're looked after and... I guess it's 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 uh, people's skill and talent being applied in a way 
I don't, for me, it's a, it's just one of the best ways to be human is to apply skill and talent in such a way that makes other people feel good. And um, there's obviously so much behind it. And, you know, from the, the, the farmers that grow the produce, you know, the, the people that look after the soil. And I know that you're a big wine guy. Um, and, of course, there is so much that goes into wine and, uh, you know, creating different experiences and flavours and textures uh, with with what's in the bottle. Um is wine sort of the area that you feel like you're going to focus on or what, you know, where do you think you're going to go in the industry? Um, I haven't really made up my mind, but I think I was really quite wine focused coming into Jethro and I really wanted the beverage program to be like quite exceptional. But I think there's so much more to sort of running the dining room in a restaurant that I've really come to enjoy um, in a lot of other aspects, like the music and how it's got to work visually. And um, my favourite part was probably figuring out what the space was going to look like because we really didn't have much to work with in this old sort of um, dirty, abandoned sushi shop. Um, and so I think those creative aspects um, I'd really love to be able to focus on a little bit more um, in the future. But, yeah, wine is always going to be a very important part of my life. It's just like restaurants. It's something else I sort of turn to for recovery. You know, um, I've, I mentioned to you that I looked on your Instagram and saw that you'd done a little bit of um, wine writing. Do you mind if I read some out? Because I think it's really good. Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. It's, it's from a while ago. But <laughs> okay. It's from a while ago, isn't it? I hadn't noticed that when I first looked at it, but it's pretty good. So what I love about your late night wine pairings series of posts, and it's a short series, <laughs> I think it's two in the series, but um, is that you pair really down home things like like Smith's crisps and in this case sardines on toast um, with some pretty fancy wine. So this one is sardines, toast, garlic, butter, vinaigrette with a um, Domaine Simha 2016 Rao Chardonnay. And, uh, I, and I quote, the shardy party continues. Satisfyingly crunchy batard and delightfully slick, gorgeously dressed sardines begin this culinary concerto in perfect harmony with cupy, chili and lemon, balancing and cutting through the first bars with a delicacy and power of Zimmerman over list. The garlic butter vinaigrette gives a lifted earthy compliment to the boned fish, leaving one wholly satisfied, let lusting for the luxurious. Um, and it goes on and you, I mean, you really know your stuff, but I think it's really fresh, um, and unpretentious and funny and, uh, just brings people in to the experience of matching food and wine, which can be really intimidating for a lot of people is, is sort of breaking down those walls, something that you try to do when you're serving wine. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, there's no limit to what you should place on yourself in terms of what you might think you would enjoy drinking in a restaurant. And I think because wine does have such a fussy sort of snobby reputation, you do really have to try and disarm people when you're introducing a bottle like that. And you go, it's not just for like the wealthy people who have the luxury of being able to buy it a bit more frequently than some of us might be able to, but there's always a fascinating story behind the bottle and a lot of care, I think, in the wines that I try and select at least. Um, and I think from there, once you sort of introduce the people to the people, 
um, it's then very easy to break down the walls and serve people something that they thought they might not have been able to enjoy. And then they realize it's more of just like a feeling rather than being able to say what some wine critic might think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's like you're allowing people to make it personal. Hey, where you don't have to notice certain things. Um, you can have your own experience. Yeah, absolutely not. You don't have to give tasting notes on it just because you're treating yourself. And I think it's far more about just enjoying it for what it is. It's just something absolutely delicious that you're treating yourself to. Yeah. James, you're you're unusual in that you're um, an Australian guy, whereas so many people that um, so many hospitality professionals in Australia are from overseas and we've seen We've seen that because so many of them have um, have left Australia during the pandemic, and the industry is dramatically understaffed as a result. What do you? What's your take on that? Like, why do you think that there aren't more Australians going into hospitality? And and um, is it a problem? Is it something we should try to change, or is it just the way things are? I'm not sure. I I sort of think it's got a little bit um, of an image problem, and particularly for young people coming out of high school. It's always seen as like an in-between job um, and something that therefore you like might not take quite as seriously. And that's always for good reasons. People have got like very demanding university jobs and like other hobbies that they might want to enjoy. And that is the thing that a lot of people have to realise about hospitality is that it is just serving lunch and serving dinner and some of the time a very simple service will do and I don't think a lot of people understand the sort of depth and love and time and care that you can really put into your work in hospitality and how rewarding that can be and I think it also has a a reputation problem as being something low income and something that you sort of hit a ceiling after spending five years in the industry and might not be able to advance it any further. But I think at the moment, because like you said, so many people have had to leave Australia because there weren't good enough policies put in place to help them stay and continue to make the hospitality scene what it, or what it was. Um, it'll certainly be something different. Um, in the next few years, I think now's the perfect time if you're sort of dissatisfied with your uni degree like I was or you've had some interesting thoughts about going to work for like a big four bank or accounting company and you've had a sort of 2020 full of reflection. I think now's the perfect time to jump into hospitality and see that it is sort of like a creative industry. I think that's a big benefit that's really overlooked by a lot of people. I think it's just like you're a cog in the machine, but it's far more um, expressive than a desk job. Um, and I think it allows a lot of freedom as well. And, w- I mean, what about the money side of it? Because you're right, like it is it is perceived as a job by, you know, by many people that you do on your way to something else and it's perceived as as 
relatively low pay and of course people talk about the long hours or the you know the unsociable hours um what do you think about that is that is are there ways to make it work for you financially or is it that you decide to um to prioritize the the, the creativity and the human contact and um yeah the hospitality experience over financial security or um yeah uh, yeah i don't know i'm not not super sure on on that one either i've i've done a bit of the nine to five as well and i think they they sort of comparably take up um as much time in your personal life and i think the good thing about hospitality is if you've got a lot of like monday to friday nine to five working friends and you have like a tuesday and a wednesday off you really get to mix up your social calendar a bit and sort of be picky um, <laughs> rather than getting stuck into the same old sort of like pub routine and yeah if you're working nights it also means that you're free to like give your spare time when you're feeling good in the day so james tell us about jethro like how did that come about and tell us what it is uh so jethro first and foremost is a mediterranean barbecue pop-up in paran um I was very, very lucky to be introduced um, by a mutual friend of ours, Babs, to our chef, Gitai Ifigat, um, who's of Israeli descent, moved over here when he was six, has um, an amazing uh, family history of cooking. Um, and he'd just been spending a bit of time hanging out in Europe, cancelling his trip uh, when COVID happened. He'd just been working at Aklava um, in East London. and. I was introduced to him and first got contact from him from a big pitch text message um, that he sent to me saying, hi, my name's Gitai, I'm a chef. I'd love to run this really casual barbecue restaurant pop-up throughout the summer. And Bab says, you might be the man for a job. And he actually sent me a sample menu and my mouth was just watering by the end of the text. And <laughs> yeah, my mind was made up in an instant. Um, and so we had a nice Zoom call a couple of days later. We're both Southside boys, so we did a chaclat together and got some ice cream and really tried to think out of the box, I suppose, at that time as to what would actually be feasible. And we were really thinking um, at that time when COVID in Melbourne was really at its peak um, that we'd only be able to do something outdoors. Um, and we were lucky enough to happen upon this sushi shop on High Street that had some outdoor seating. And we were just thinking we'd only do like five tables of two on the footpath um, initially. Um, and no one else responded to our emails, bowls, clubs, parks, um, function centres with big outdoor spaces. We'd just got nothing. And so we thought we'd run our luck with the sushi shop. And then thankfully everyone was really well behaved, um, sort of October and November. And we just had to do a mast on service by the time we could open in December. I'm just going to um, <laughs> say anyone who doesn't know what a chap lap is, um, it's a lack of chap of Chapel Street. And um, it's pretty, it's, a, it's got very hoony connotations, but I think um, this is the only time I've heard it used when actually it's, it's a positive because you came up with a really nice little restaurant concept out of your chap lap. 
Yeah, definitely. I think Chaplap's something to be reclaimed um, by the pedestrians now, just to go out and explore Chapel Street and give it a lot of support because there's some great stuff hanging about. I tell you what, though, people are giving Chapel Street a lot of support and I think so many of those um, those strips in Melbourne, like Ligon Street is going off, Chapel Street is going off. And, I mean, at the start of, well, when we came out of lockdown, I found it all quite alarming because people's excitement was perhaps getting over, um, was more on the at the front of their mind than their social distancing. But um, we seem to have got through it, fingers crossed. And, um, yeah, hopefully people will continue to keep things safe so we can stay open and do as many chat claps as we want. Absolutely. There's no better chap lap than a distance chap lap at the moment. <laughs> That's it. Um, so what's so you've got the space for a few months um, and, yeah, so it's really simple food. It's, I guess, Mediterranean grill, as you say, but with um, quite simple dishes but pretty clever. Is, is there a dish that you really feel like explains what you guys are about? Oh, that's a really tough one. I definitely haven't given it any thought <laughs> whatsoever. Um, well, tell me about the the Lamajun. The Lamajun is a really, uh, really great special that Gitai put on about a week ago. Um, he loves eating Turkish pizza, basically. It was a London favourite sort of snack food for him. Um, and we got sent some really lovely prawns from Clams. And he wanted to use a, a lamb fat suet initially, but we ended up with beef. Um, and, yeah, basically just turned it into a lovely sort of minced prawn flatbread with a little tomato sauce. And I suppose the whole thing behind Gitai's cooking is that it is immediately accessible, um, but there's so much care and love put behind it. And I think the great thing about the Jethro is that it means Gitai gets to cook all the food. Um, and you know he's in there all day and you know he's prepared everything, having tasted it sort of five or six times. And even though it's this very simply appearing dish, um, it's always going to be so layered and exciting to eat. Um, and it's yeah, similar to how we approach the wine. We're not trying to introduce any like wacky styles or reinvent the wheel. Um, we're just trying to show that it's already there, basically, um, and be playful with it. Mm. So do you reckon that this post-COVID, fingers crossed, era in Melbourne is a good time for two young guys like yourself to open something up? You know, is there are there opportunities that are opening up because perhaps other restaurants have closed or because, you know, it takes a someone who doesn't have that much to lose to be optimistic enough to just try stuff out? Like, you know, what, where do you think things are at? Absolutely. I think now is like the perfect time to have a go. I mean, if you do do a chat lab, um, you'll see that everything is up for lease. And I think everything now in terms of a rental agreement is negotiable. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you have even just like a little hit uh, of an idea for a concept you'll be able to find a space for it and I had to work very hard um, for sort of two or three months to get it all off the ground um, but it's definitely something that I think anyone could have a go at in the current climate um, and I think it'll only become more difficult 
um, in the coming years once everything is sort of back to normal. Yeah. yeah. So this is the moment. Yeah. Not quite, not quite now or never. Um, but yeah, I certainly don't think um, we'd have been able to do Jethro um, in two years' time. So maybe it's it's not it's not now or never, but it's why not now? You just might as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, yeah. Well, um, all power to you, James and Gitai. I think whatever you guys end up doing, I'll definitely give it a give it a good crack because um, yeah, the food was delicious, and I just think it's it's really exciting to see people looking at this moment in our history and thinking that it's full of opportunity and it's definitely something to celebrate. So all the best with the rest of the pop-up and, uh, yeah, look forward to hearing what you guys get up to next. Thanks so much, Demi. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. Uh, let's just let's just wait for Peppy to do her thing. That's one of the kids coming home. <laughs>